Some things are changing this year. The first is that I'm committed to putting out a podcast every week. Last year, I did some every other week. It was a little bit intermittent, and I'm okay with that. Sometimes that is the decision that makes most sense. When I wasn't working on Zen Founder Podcast, I was releasing podcasts with Mind Cure. Uh, we did a show called Mind Curious that explored the potentials and problems of psychedelics as they relate to mental health treatment. So if you haven't heard that show, hop on over to mindcure.com and look for the podcast tab. And you can also find it in all of your normal podcast places. It's called Mind Curious. But my commitment to that season of that show has wrapped up. And so I have a little bit more creative energy to flow back into Zen Founder. It is a big year for me. I'm, of course, releasing my second book this summer with Publisher Sounds True. I'm also working on a large national media campaign focused on entrepreneurs and mental health um, that's in partnership with Intuit. I am grateful for all of these cool opportunities. So one of the strategies that I have for making sure that I can consistently deliver on the podcast while also spending some creative energy in other directions is that I am taking a page from my own recommendations, which is that I'm asking for some help. So my friend and colleague, Brooke Bergman-Parr, is going to be hosting some of the Zen Founder Podcast episodes. Brooke is a wonderful clinician and a thought leader. She really is an expert in entrepreneurial couples. She works with me at Zen Founder, mostly handling relationship challenges. So conflicts between co-founders, co-workers, or between uh, life founders, <laughs> spouses, or romantic partners. She's a wonderful asset, and I'm so happy that I get to work with her. And I'm also really happy that I get to share some of her wisdom and insight with you over the course of the coming months. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Hello, Zen Founder listeners. I'm Brooke a member of the team with Zen Founder. I'm the relationship specialist and one of our coaches. I work with folks who come to Zen Founder to work through relationship issues, whether it's in the workplace or at home. I also love helping people find pleasure and joy in their work and promoting mental health. You'll be hearing more from me on this podcast and on the Zen Founder blog. In the spirit of newness, a new month, a new voice, a new year. I want to talk about some practical ways that we can improve our mental health and prevent problems before they arise. Personally, I, I love the month of January. I love the festivities of Christmas and all the bustling and the events and the parties, but I love when we put the lights away, clean everything and begin again. I love the new calendar year and the idea of a stretch of time in front of us. It's, it's sort of like a blank canvas 
For me, the new year also represents hope. And there is a real deep need in all of us to have hope, which I think is why this January has felt maybe a little tougher than than most, because I think with the ongoing pandemic, it has felt, quite frankly, a little hopeless. But the new year, the new year represents, it represents hope, right? And it represents in literal fashion, hope for something new. A lot of businesses and uh, people plan for the new year and they make plans for the year. And that just, it just makes a lot of good sense. In my career, I talk about how I help people with transitions. So which involves new habits, new careers, new relationships, new losses. So lots of new things. So I like to help people do new things. But the problem is, is that the brain, the brain really does not like change, even if the change is positive. Creating new neural pathways in the brain is uncomfortable because the brain is quite literally building a new road of neural connections. I describe it to my clients like this, that it it's as though your brain is building a new highway, right? And building a new highway involves a lot of machinery and it's loud and it's messy and it's uncomfortable. And it's it's messy and quite frankly, sometimes confusing. And so this accounts for some of the physical pain that often accompanies learning, changing, and growing. And so since changing, growing, you know, doing all these new things is kind of hard, I want to talk about some ways that you can speed along the growth of new neural pathways and some strategies that can prevent mental health issues from arising in the first place. A lot of people have New Year's resolutions or where I live in Southern California, it's more popular to talk about intentions. Uh, That's definitely an inspiration from the yoga world, the yogi world. And there are loads of research on the importance and effectiveness of setting tangible and I would add achievable goals. And so a lot of folks have goals around physical health, exercise, and eating better. And not only are those goals good in and of themselves, they also promote overall mental health. More and more science is discovering just how much of a body-mind we are. The mind-body separation is really becoming a thing of the past. Everything from learning how, you know, the neurotransmitters are actually in the gut, (laughs) Right, so those gut feelings we have, that's because those neurotransmitters are in the gut. All the way to, you know, if you change uh, the way that you stand, it changes the way that you feel. Or the research on how Botox is affecting people with depression because it prevents them from frowning. (laughs) That's one of my favorites, actually. That one's just sort of ironic to me. But we've known this for a long time in the mental health field that exercise is one of the quickest paths to overall mental health. Over and over, scientists continue to discover the apparent fountain of youth that exercise is. And as a therapist, I can also attest to the fact that the type and frequency of people's exercise programs is deeply connected both to their mental health and 
the quality of their relationships. I've just seen over and over in so many different ways how exercise and I'm going to I'm going to broaden our understanding of exercise today because really it is my goal and Zen Founders goal to help you become more embodied. And when I say embodied, that means that you live in your body and you are not separate from your body anymore, that you perceive of yourself as a whole, a mind-body whole. And so that's why it is very important what we do with our bodies. And I often see disconnection from the body in this. This is this happens in both men and women and disconnection from the body causes all sorts of mental health challenges and relationship problems. In my mind, mental health challenges and relationship problems are almost sometimes two sides of of a similar coin. Sometimes, ironically, though, even the very exercise and eating programs out there meant to, quote, change our lives, encourage this disconnection. I see a lot of extreme dieting and exercise programs that, you know, really, gosh, how do I say this? They encourage people to lose connection to their body's intrinsic genius, So what that means is the really good news for most of us is that no one has to become an extreme athlete in order to really change their health and to encourage this embodiment. One caveat about that, though, and this is always my caveat, if this particular athletic program brings you joy and pleasure and great feelings and it promotes wonderful things in your life, then go for it. I have a a number of people that I've worked with over the years who are extraordinary athletes and so their training schedules are <laughs> different than the average person and that that brings them joy and pleasure and it activates a true felt sense of self capital s and so for that reason if that brings you joy and pleasure go for it but for a lot of people those programs are sort of out of reach and so i want to talk today about some practical ways that you can just really exercise and move your body in a way that's going to, again, promote that wholeness and promote neuroplasticity. So again, right, I started this talk off talking about newness and this idea of how we can change, how we can do new things, how we can achieve new goals. And one way we can bypass our conscious objections is to move our bodies in particular ways. And so today I'd like to talk about two different kinds of exercise, two different types of exercise that I want to offer you access to. And that is flow state exercise versus structured workouts. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist who is trained in somatic techniques And I am also a licensed instructor in the S-Factor movement practice. S-Factor, popularized by a woman named Sheila Kelly, is a feminine movement practice that encourages embodiment in the whole being. And so I I am I am trained. And so I want to talk about these two different types of exercise. And one is going to give you 
some of that delicious dopamine. Dopamine is that really just feel good neurotransmitter that helps us feel just pleasure, quite frankly. So this flow state exercise is going to give you that dopamine and sometimes even feelings of oneness with the universe types of feelings that you can then carry over into your work. Now, this is especially important for entrepreneurs, founders, and creative types because Right, you're the leader, you're the visionary of your company, whether it's just you and you're a solopreneur, or you're leading a group of 5,000 or 100,000 people. You are the one who needs to come up with new things. And so movement is one way to, to do that. Now, so let's talk about flow state exercise versus non flow state exercise. So first we'll talk about non-flow state exercise. Now, first of all, non-flow state exercise is great. I think that there are a lot of benefits to this type of movement. So let's identify what that is. So a non-flow state exercise is any type of a structured workout, repetitions, any type of counting, any type of very specific thing that you are doing that has some sort of repetition to it or like you're counting or even uh, the beginnings of a dance routine. And these are considered non-flow states because the mind is literally telling the body what to do next. All right, 10, nine, you know, you're counting in your mind, you're planning your next step, there is a flow of narration happening in your mind as you do this movement. Do this, don't do that, just five more, <laughs> right? There is a lot of value in this type of exercise because it supports the development of discipline. And we all need discipline in order to succeed in life. And discipline is that idea of, I don't necessarily feel like doing this initially, but if I do it, it will be better in the long run. And there are some tasks that just need to get done. And so training the body in this way helps us develop that habit, right? There is a sense of like, okay, I don't want to get up you know, 30 minutes earlier, but if I do, I will complete my workout and I will just have a better, a better day, a better, more productive day of work. So that's non-flow state. I would also add that anytime you're learning a new movement that you have never learned before, that's also non-flow because you're having a narration about it. Now, flow state exercise is very different because what happens when you go into flow state exercise is that your your brain stops narrating what you are doing. Now, you can use structured workouts to get into flow state, but I would say it's more it's not the norm to do that. So let's talk about some some flow state exercises. Flow state exercises are any of the following. Skiing, snowboarding, dancing, surfing, skateboarding, long distance running or swimming, group sports, yoga, or martial arts. 
I was even thinking about, you know, I mentioned the group sports. What happens with group sports that's particularly beautiful is that you'll see the entire teams begin to be in flow. And it's this beautiful thing where where they're not, they've trained so well, they're in the non-flow state mm. that then they are able to go into flow state with each other incredibly well. But I want to point out that in the beginning of learning these types of movements, you're often not in flow. And I'll give a fo- the following example uh, will help explore this concept a little more. Uh, your brain has a lot of commentary about what you are either doing or not doing. So when I think about non-flow versus flow, I think of the difference between myself and my husband skiing. So my husband has no memories of not skiing. Clicking into his boots is as natural as walking is for him. And watching him ski is honestly pretty darn incredible. He has just a dancer's grace as he surfs the snow at 50, 60 miles per hour. And he can precisely and safely whiz by me at high speed while spraying me with snow, laughing all the way. (laughs) And so when he skis, he is in flow. There is no narration about what he's going to do next or how to do it. He just goes and goes. And you can tell that he's in a flow state. Now, me, on the other hand, (laughs) after five seasons of this, um, my husband actually taught me how to ski. I'm getting better. I learned as an adult. And so my brain sometimes has quite a bit of commentary about the whole endeavor. Now, what's interesting is that as I get better, I can feel myself, mm, the way I describe it is dropping into flow. We, we drop into these flow states and all of a sudden I am surfing down the mountain in my own way. I'll never be as fast as he is, but I find myself dropping into that flow. In S-Factor, we talk about this idea of dropping down into the body, and there are certain things that we do in our practice to assist with that immersion. It's this idea of the brain sort of dropping down into the body so that there isn't this commentary happening. Sometimes otherwise known as the critical mind. Now, why is it important to get into flow state while you're exercising? Well, because when you can get into flow state during exercise, during movement, you are trusting your body and you are developing this relationship with your body that is one of trust. And you are developing a relationship with your body that is whole. And you're also giving your body a break from your critical mind. A lot of intelligent, hardworking, successful people have a very loud critical mind that, again, has, has a lot of that 
running commentary, myself included sometimes. But if I make room in my day-to-day existence for flow state movement, I give my body the opportunity to just experience pure pleasure of movement, pure joy and embodiment. Now for me, I've chosen a flow state exercise that is really easy to do often, and, and that is dance. So S-factor is a type of feminine movement and a dance practice. And so for me, one of my favorite ways to just easily get into flow is I have a variety of different playlists that connect me to different moods that I'm feeling. And I can just pop in my headphones, stand in my office and do a few hip circles, a quick hair toss. And all of a sudden I am down in my body again. And I say down because sometimes there's this feeling of, yeah, going from the head down into the body. And it is this feeling of, oh, okay, I am... I am good and it changes my mood, right? So for me, the dance is a really easy way to get into flow state. Now, if you're not into dance, that's fine. If you were bored with, if you feel like you were born with two left feet, then this is not an exercise that's going to help you get into flow because you're going to have too much commentary about it. And so you might want to think about something else. You know, what are some types of exercise and movement that help you get into flow. Actually, I have several clients that for them uh, over the years, horseback riding is a way that they get into flow, right? And that is definitely exercise and that is interacting with another creature. And so it's promoting just all this wonderful, yummy goodness, embodiment and flow. And so I, I always encourage people to maybe even think about what they used to do during their childhood that helps them feel really good. So for me, it was dance. And so I've continued to learn and to train in these different dance techniques that are more embodied. And that helps me get into flow. I mentioned my husband skiing. That's how he gets into flow. I live in Laguna Beach, and so I watch all of the surfers. Oh my gosh, and they are just so fun to watch because they are in pure flow with both their bodies and their environments. And that's one of the things that I love about some of the, right, like surfing and the snow sports in particular is because there is also that interaction with nature, Surfing in particular, by the way, if you haven't tried, is really hard. (laughs) I've tried it and I'm definitely not in flow yet, which is why it's not yet as enjoyable as, you know, some of my some of my neighbors. I think of my neighbor in particular who has grown up here in Laguna and he I mean, his dad was putting him on a surfboard when he was, I mean, a toddler. And that's actually, I mean, before you say, oh, that's so dangerous. No, like, it's actually a common practice here. I watch dads mostly, but some moms, you know, put their toddlers on these large surfboards when the, when the waves are just nice and gentle. And it's really such a beautiful thing. And so for him, and now, of course, he surfs professionally all over the world. And, and, but when he is doing that, he is in flow. And that's one of the things about flow 
state exercise that I think is really important that is not talked about is that it induces feelings of bliss. Now, I talked earlier in this episode about those feelings of oneness with the universe. And that's really this piece that I'm talking about is that bliss. And and some of you who maybe are already doing this flow state already know what I'm talking about when you when I'm talking about this bliss that you feel. And this bliss then literally helps you come up with new ideas in your business, in your work as you sit down at the computer because your your brain has been bathed in that yummy dopamine and the neurotransmitters have had a chance to rebalance. Now again, going back to that structured exercise, right? The counting and the repetitions. It's not that that exercise doesn't give you, you know, some of the health benefits and the dopamine, but I'm again interested in peak performance overall mental health, and really living your deepest happiness. And so that flow state is super important for that. To recap, to summarize, we've got your structured workouts, structured exercise, which is all about developing discipline in the body, which is, again, a wonderful skill for success. But then there is the flow state exercise, which is going to give you... (laughs) states of bliss and oneness with the universe. And that type of exercise is the type that I really would like us all to go into the new year, trying to discover what that is for ourselves. So this is really where you get to take a journey into the self, into yourself and ask yourself, what is some movement that maybe has been calling to me that I have been ignoring? Maybe it can be as simple as, my gosh, I need to go for walks outside. You know, some people do walks on the treadmill and and I understand that it's winter, so inclement weather might prevent us from doing that. But there is this beautiful interaction of embodied movement out in nature that is like quadruply healing. (laughs) So if you can do that, then you are definitely getting into flow state. And again, part of why I love this type of movement is because it triggers the critical mind to turn off, which is very important in our work as entrepreneurs, because if we are criticizing ourselves as we work, it's going to be very difficult to work. I mentioned my husband's a skier. He's sort of a renaissance man. He, he's also a painter. And he cannot go into a new painting or any type of art with the critical mind on. Because if he did, he wouldn't create, right? And so that, that idea can really, we can really broaden it out to all the different types of creative endeavors that we have. But again, tapping into the body, our body's natural genius can help us engage in the world in a beautifully embodied, joyful, and blissful way. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. 
You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.